0: Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Equity markets continued to grind higher on Monday. Now while risk assets started moving higher in July, the recent positive news on the job market as well as inflation has fanned the flames, so to speak. So with talk of investor FOMO or fear of missing out and a Goldilocks outcome, uh, the question is what comes next? Joining us today for the CIO Strategy Snapshot conversation to provide some clarity around this, I'm glad to welcome back the head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, Jason Dreho. So, Jason, welcome back and thank you for spending some time with our listeners, our clients. I know, Jason, you recently published a blog. I believe it came out yesterday, in fact, a title of which was That Was Fast. And the blog gives some perspective on what's happening and what could happen. So to start our conversation today, Jason, what would you say are the factors that you would point to as why risk assets have performed so well as of late?
1: Well, you know, Dan, first, it's it's good to be here. And, and, you know, last week when we were talking uh, on Monday, I believe I mentioned the possibility that if, you know, if we were to get, you know, kind of better than expected inflation data, you could see the markets continue to grind higher on the belief that, you know, an upside scenario of inflation falling, kind of a Goldilocks outcome could materialize. And what we got was, CPI data that you know, surprised to the downside, uh, you know, and kind of a broad-based measure of downside surprises. Then the producer price index on Thursday came down, which we know that that kind of tends to feed into CPI inflation. You know, months down the line, import prices came down on Friday. So all the inflation data that we got last week was down instead of surprising in a, in a positive way I meaning you know, it was like lower than expected so that you know added fuel to the fire based off of you know the the jobs data we got for august the week before or it was a very strong payroll report so i think about what is you know kind of driving you know the markets uh, particularly over the past couple of weeks uh you know a couple of catalysts uh you know begin first with kind of the macro kind of fundamental look at least at the margin it is getting a little bit better uh increasingly it looks like inflation Will continue you know, decline. At least headline inflation could look, decline fairly rapidly. Uh, we know just for August, based on what gasoline prices are, that have continued to decline you know, uh, pretty uniformly since July. Those will bring down inflation. You know, other things like airline uh, or airfares are going to come down. So we could get inflation for for August that is, you know, down close to eight uh, percent, down from eight point five percent, and the trend looks like it's going to continue to kind of go in the right direction. Uh, so that's improved. At the same time, some of the economic data, such as the jobs market, suggests that, you know, growth is holding up okay thus far. So if you have a situation where growth can hold up okay long enough while inflation comes down, then you have a situation where then the likelihood of getting a sort of a softer landing, avoiding like a, you know, a contraction or such, becomes a little bit more likely. Uh, so I think at, at the margin, what happened is we've sort of moved a little bit of probability from that recession outcome to a soft landing. Now, this is a small amount of data for one month. We don't want to over extrapolate it. But at least you know, at the margin, it kind of shifts a little bit. I think it's also the underlying trends we see on inflation, supply chains, things of that sort, suggest that the far kind of real downside tail risk of a deeper recession is also being declining because we won't get a stagflationary shock, or at least it looks much less likely. That would force the Fed to kind of also raise rates when we get slowing growth. So I think that's a factor that's driven markets a little bit higher recently, if we then also go back to the past two months and a little bit of time period, the s and is up about 18% since it's low in, in June. Uh, we've seen investor positioning also, you know, uh, you know, kind of work in a favorable way. Sentiment was very bearish, you know, at the start of the summer. Investors, certainly institutional investors, had sort of de-risked. They put on hedges. Uh, you know, they tried to minimize potential exposure on the belief that a recession was going to become likely. Now, as those fears have sort of resided a little bit, we've seen sentiment measures go from extreme bearishness to something more closer to getting into neutral. So not euphoria, not necessarily FOMO, but, you know, definitely kind of improving. There's also been investor position has been a bit of a tailwind. Uh, things like, you know, in the, you know, short covering to a lot of hedge funds that might have been short stocks, they've been buying those back. Uh, There's systematic strategies that buy based on market momentum. So as the markets rise, they start to buy more. Market volatility, both equities and fixed income have come down, so the strategies that kind of allocate risk based on volatility, so those have been adding up positions. We've also seen a little bit of kind of, you know, retail fund flows come back into equities, but also parts of fixed income uh, as a bit of a chase for yield. So this technical tailwind has certainly lifted markets from levels that were probably a little bit overshot in hindsight back in June, off of very poor sentiment, and there's been a marginal shift in terms of the macro outlook, so a little little more likelihood of a of a soft landing scenario, and the inflation coming down. Also, the market kind of believing and expecting the Fed to sort of pivot, you know, well, relatively soon, meaning you know, kind of by the year end. So you add that all, but I think those could be the factors that would point to why markets have, have rallied so much uh, at this point in time.
0: So, Jason, it was interesting within the blog, you go on to suggest that investors should be cautious in getting too bulled up or getting ahead of their skis, so to speak, and chasing this rally. Any evidence of that already? Why might that be the case?
1: Well, first, just, you know, while there's some positive news on the fundamental perspective, I think we know still need to acknowledge that there's a lot of risks out there. Uh, growth is likely to slow. I mean, the Fed wants the, the, the economy to kind of slow and grow at a low level in order to bring inflation down. And the timing that happened the first half of this year, it operates with a lens, you know, and it can continue to weigh on the economy as we move into year end and early next year. We can see that, you know, very prevalently in the housing market, which has cooled dramatically. You know, and even data we got this morning continues to show. Declining, you know, new homes or, or uh, you know housing starts, uh, you know permits, things of all, all, all sort of housing related is definitely kind of weakening, which you would expect as the Fed raises rates. So there is downside risk there, along with you know other factors such as like China continues to slow quite dramatically. That's not getting maybe quite the attention uh, here in the U.S. right now, given the markets are rallying. Europe remains with a number of challenges, there's geopolitical issues with Taiwan, Ukraine. So there's certainly many risks that could that are external to the U.S. but could certainly impact us here. But I think more domestically, two factors that uh, you know would kind of give us me some sort of you know caution to not get too bold up at this point in time is is first on the Fed. Uh, you know, there's an assumption the markets are kind of thinking that the Fed could pivot, meaning stop hiking and even cutting rates starting even as soon as March of next year. Uh, there's a chance they don't do that. For one, inflation could stay stubbornly high, so measures could come down quickly. But if a core inflation still stays around four percent, the Fed will probably feel the need to continue to hike rates to bring that down also uh financial conditions uh, and tightening financial conditions has been a key objective for the Fed this year. If you tighten financial conditions, we know that tends to you know slow growth you know six, nine, twelve months down the line. Financial conditions tightened you know quite significantly from you know last fall, November, December when the Fed first went to really hoggish pivot uh, up to you know mid June since that time, you know which measure you look at, financial conditions have kind of retraced between fifteen to forty five percent so let's say twenty five to thirty percent. That means, you know, the kind of the growth slowdown that would have been baked in in mid-June. Now that's kind of easing off a little bit. That's not great for, from the Fed's perspective. I believe that growth has to slow to, to kind of bring inflation down. So you've seen some of the Fed officials certainly out there pushing back on this pivot narrative, saying we have to maintain a very, you know, uh, aggressive stance to bring inflation down, and we can't stop until it, it does come down. The market right now doesn't seem to believe that, you know. But you know, we'll find out soon enough. You know, certainly by the September fmc meeting. Whether the Fed continues to hike aggressively, but also indicate it wants to hike aggressively, and if that's the case, the markets aren't certainly prepared for that. And then, in terms of what the markets are actually pricing, you know, you're always trying to you know, disentangle and decipher, you know, what's the probability of a recession or soft landing, or what sort of scenario is being embedded in market prices from equities, credit, to other parts of fixed income. Back in mid June, you know, I think was a safe bet to say, you know, equities are, were pricing at least a 50% chance of recession when the S&P was down 23 percent from its peak. And we know in a typical recession, it's down about 30 to 35%. So you're more than halfway to that level. At some point, credit spreads like investment grade, corporate spreads, bond spreads were up around 170 basis points. High yield is around 650. In recession levels, they're not that much higher. So again, probably more than 50% of the way there. Now, if we look at equities, you know, the S&P is up 17% from the June low. It's only down about 10% or 11% from its all-time high. Uh, and it's trading at a level that it was at kind of in late April and early May, uh, back when the market was still kind of becoming less focused on inflation and becoming more focused on growth slowing, but still not not yet in a consensus view that a recession is inevitable. So if you think about that and think, like, well, there's a chance of recession, but that's not the base case. That's kind of where it seems like the markets are pricing it now. So definitely it's sort of a more optimistic today than two months ago. Now is that too optimistic? Uh, you know, it, it's starting to kind of border on that territory, given just so much uncertainty that we still have in terms of the inflation and growth outlook. Then, if you look at the treasury market, the treasury curve, the yield curve is inverted, and that's you know been typically a, an indicator that a recession is coming down the pipeline. So, the rates market is suggesting one thing; the credit and equity markets are suggesting something else. Typically, those sort of converge in some way. The question is, like, how will they converge? Maybe the, you know, rates kind of rise, the curve sort of flattens out or, or re-steepens to some extent. But it also could mean that equities, you know, have to kind of pull back a little bit until we get better data in terms of the inflation and growth out, like to really say, yes, we're going to get a, a soft landing. So all this is to suggest there's still a lot of uncertainty. The fundamental picture is marginally better. But the markets may be reflecting even better improvement than is warranted at this point in time.
0: Now, Jason, as we look ahead, as you pointed out, a fair amount of unknowns. What would you cite as being the catalysts you're watching out for that could change this recent market momentum?
1: Well, in the very near term, there's not a lot of data. You know, this week or even next week that is going to be you know potentially be big. You know, market moving. Because at this point in time there's so much focus on inflation data and the labor market because that's what the Fed is focusing on. It wants inflation to come down, it wants the labor market to cool. So we will get, for example, retail sales this week. You know, they might be okay or maybe a little bit disappointing, but you know, the excuse could be, well, that was backward looking, especially if it's companies reporting second quarter earnings. You know, that's not kinda of currently reflecting what the trend is. So, if you're looking for, if you're becoming more optimistic and you're looking sort of, you know, uh, for data to support it, you know, you can suffer from confirmation bias. So, I think, you know, people embrace good news. They'll ignore some, you know, data points that are sort of, they'll perceive as less relevant. So, I think as a result, in the very near term, not a huge number of catalysts. They'll be focused on Fed minutes that come out uh, tomorrow on Wednesday, and certainly even more so on the Jackson Hole Central Bank Conference uh, next week on uh, August 25th to 27th j Powell, Fed chair, will give a speech on the Friday morning, the 26th. A lot of folks on that, but it's also unless they're going to say too much at this point in time because they're waiting for the August data on the jobs market on, on inflation before they set their plans for what they want to do at the September FOMC meeting and ultimately some way kind of you know, beyond that. So there's no reason why they'd want to lean one strongly one direction or another right now until they get that data because then it might be forced to sort of backtrack. So we may not get a lot of information until... We get that economic data that begins, I think, on September 3rd is the the August payroll report, and then about a week later on the 10th we would get the inflation data. So until then, uh, you know the you know the bias, the market momentum continue to go higher, barring some other you know, other news events that could be negative. But in terms of you, I've know, clearly identified data points coming out of Fed news not a lot in the next two weeks to maybe you know, shift the momentum, but then a lot can happen in September with you know, August 8th and then ultimately the FOMC meeting.
0: Looking ahead, Jason, once we get out of the summer, it sounds like, as you pointed out, the next couple of weeks will be on the quiet side. Though, what can investors do today? What should they be thinking about? How should they be preparing from an asset allocation standpoint?
1: So one is, you know, if we were to try and predict what's the most likely or what would we have highest conviction on happening over the next you know, one to two months, I think volatility rising back up uh, as they get some additional data, as we hear what the Fed has to say in terms of its hikings plans, because certainly, you know the view is shifting towards a more optimistic in the, you know uh, outcome. Uh, and certainly the Fed pivoting if the data turns out to be uh, disappointing in some way, like certainly in the labor market, if, if wage growth stays you know really high, stubbornly high, it's not coming down at all, um, and the job growth is just strong, it actually might be a signal for the Fed if we got to continue to go aggressively. And the market that had been pricing out rate hikes and even rate cuts for next year, they might have to pivot. And we could get sort of an indication of that, uh, you know, later in September. I think on the, on the 19th of September, that's when the FOMC meeting would come out. So there's a good chance that's going to add some volatility back to the market. I think just for context, you know, uh, the VIX volatility index for equity markets is a pretty decent gauge. Uh, it fell below 20 at the end of last week so on Friday. It hasn't really been below 20 for any sustained period of time, meaning like more than a couple of weeks. Really, since the Fed went to this more hawkish pivot late last year, you know, given that, it's, it's a good chance that it would rise back above, uh, you know, 20, and you know, even this morning, like more slightly over 20, 20.13. So it's moved up slightly. I think the scope for, for more volatility as we move forward is, is certainly a possibility. Um, as a result, then I think it, you know, making uh, the view we had of not making strong directional market calls right now still feels kind of valid at the moment, um, just given sort of the uncertainty of how things can play out. Um, because any you know, positive data, the market's going to move higher. And again, you know, it would take a significant data point to sort of move the markets considerably low at this, at this time. So I think that's one thing just to continue to kind of prepare for, for more volatility uh, to not sort of chase this market. So if you're thinking about, you know, I was underinvested in my portfolio, I had a lot of cash on hand. Uh, is it too late to buy? I think you should always answer that question in the context of your overall portfolio long-term objective. If you're below your benchmark of how much you know um, you should be invested, then you should be making those adjustments accordingly. and Not worry so much about is it you know, you know is it too late to buy given you know the market moves we've seen recently. Um, other than that, I think the, you know our, our bias is still towards you know a little more kind of value oriented stocks, uh, you know commodities, which have pulled back. But from a fundamental perspective, you know, want the market to remain sort of tight in terms of supply and demand. And if you do get a soft landing. It is a little bit at odds that you're seeing equities rally on that scenario, yet commodity prices come down because commodities should benefit. They are being hurt by what's going on in China with the growth slowdown is quite significant. So even if the U.S. economy looks better, in some sense it's looking better perhaps because, you know, China is slowing and that's bringing commodity prices down. So there is that sort of, you know, um, kind of, you know, you know uh, diversification dynamic kind of going on to that, that situation. And the final thing is, um, you know, to not get overly aggressive by taking too much, you know, kind of um, lower quality risk. You know, so we've seen small caps rally a little bit recently. Uh, on a long-term perspective, they look, you know, attractive from the, the valuation, but in the near term, I think, you know, staying more up in quality is a safer way to go because things could reverse in the macro environment very quickly. Uh, as we've seen just in the past two months, things pivoted, and they could easily pivot back to a more pessimistic outcome in the near term. So given where we are at these current levels and what's already happened, uh, kind of we, we would not recommend sort of chasing them. Uh, yeah, that performance by going into more speculative parts of the market.
0: Jason, thank you for joining us to provide some perspective on the drivers behind recent market momentum, how investors should think about responding, how they should think about allocating their portfolios, and consideration of the catalysts that lie ahead in the weeks and months to come. So, very productive conversation as always, Jason. Uh, looking forward to picking back up with the snapshot with you next week. You're welcome and have a great rest of the week. Likewise, Jason. Thank you. I do want to point out Jason's blog, which he has been referencing during our conversation today. That title, That Was Fast, available now up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. So for clients of UBS, please be sure to reach out to your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of Jason's blog directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.